Welcome back to another edition of the Volunteer State. Preseason USA Today coaches poll is out. We'll be discussing it today along with getting into some reactions from a, a closed scrimmage Tennessee had this week in preseason camp. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside Adam Sparks and John Adams. Guys, uh, the, the preseason polls seems like they've been with us for like months and months now. It's uh, you know, everybody's everybody's got everybody's got a poll these days, but uh, the one that our company puts on the uh, USA Today coaches poll was out this week, so we'll we'll give it some love on the pod today. But the poll was not giving Tennessee any love. Tennessee unranked in the top twenty-five of that poll uh, were among the the leaders of those receiving votes who weren't in the top twenty-five. If you extended the poll past top twenty-five on down the list, Tennessee would have been the equivalent of the number twenty-eight team. So I was caught by a little bit by surprise by that. I figured Tennessee'd be kind of hanging out toward the end of the top twenty-five. What was your guys' reaction to seeing the Vols going unranked? The reaction that I've got a lot from fans is that, well, this doesn't matter. It's, you know, what matters is the college football playoff poll or, or that sort of thing. I, I think usually that's the reaction from from people of teams that aren't ranked. If you're ranked, this matters. If you're not ranked, you suddenly say it, it makes no difference. I think this absolutely matters, at, at least at the end of the season. I mean, if you're not a team that is uh, going to win an SEC championship, and if you're not a team that's going to be in the college football playoff, which at this point uh, Tennessee is not, um, then this matters. You have to hit some benchmarks. And the benchmark for Tennessee where they need to get to is to be a top 25 team. And they have the type of team that can do it this year. Um, they haven't been ranked at the end of a season, uh, if memory serves me right, to, since 2016. Uh, that's that's midway through Butch Jones's tenure. They need to get back to that. So the fact that they're not ranked now, that that's fine. Uh, I think it's probably better for them that they're slightly on the outside looking in. But it, it does matter if they can get there. And if I know we'll go through this, but if you just look at the early schedule, they beat Pitt week two. Pitt's ranked pretty high in this, higher than I thought they'd be. Then Tennessee will probably be ranked after week two if they can win that game. Yeah, I think another issue with the vote is when you look at the SEC, once you get past Alabama and, and Georgia, the two favorites in the respective divisions, a lot of people have a lot of different takes on who are the next best teams. Tennessee is one of those. South Carolina, Arkansas, Kentucky, Ole Miss, LSU. I see these teams, different people have very disparate opinions about those teams. Some I, th- I noticed that LSU was not in the top 25. I think LSU will be a top 25 team. I think ten- Tennessee will be also. Uh, I don't think Kentucky will, but I just think there's a wide range of opinions on a lot of SEC teams. Yeah, what's interesting is as you go through these rankings, as you alluded to, John, there, just seeing sort of the different gaps in the SEC and the polls, because I think by and large, I don't feel like there's a huge gap. Once you get past Alabama and Georgia, I think those three through like 13 teams, I mean, Vanderbilt's at the bottom, Alabama and Georgia at the top, but like three through 12 or three through 13, you know, I think there's a lot of parity in the mix there. And yet you see in the polls, you have Alabama one, Georgia three, Texas A&M seven, and then you have to go all the way down to 21 to find another SEC team. Kentucky at 21, Arkansas 23, 
Ole Miss at 24. And so, you know, beyond just being a little surprised that Tennessee wasn't ranked, I'm also interested in that voters have Kentucky, the equivalent of seven spots ahead of Tennessee, Kentucky at 21, and Tennessee's the equivalent of of 28th. And then also Ole Miss, which lost so much of the firepower off last year's team and is so reliant on transfers, is sitting there at 24. So I don't know. I I guess it's just kind of curious to see, you know, maybe the rationale for some of this voting. It's like, you know, in the case of Ole Miss, I think the voters put a lot of stock in that, that portal King strategy that Lane Kiffin's using. However, you have a team like LSU that deployed a very similar strategy is, is going to be very transfer laden, talented, but transfer laden. And, you know, they weren't really all that particularly close to being ranked. They were the equivalent of what would have been 30th in this preseason poll. So maybe it, it's as simple as like you said, John, there's just a variety of of opinions about teams once you get past like Alabama and Georgia in the SEC. Yeah, I, I think it's muddy um, once you get to about probably 15 in the poll. And, and like you said, beyond the initial few uh, in the SEC. I, I mean, I do think we have to remember that a lot of these picks, because these are coaches, even more so than riders, coaches will give credit more to what was done last season. So I mentioned Pitt being uh, quite a ways up there in the top 25. That's off of what they did last season outside the SEC, but they won the ACC title. That's what they're giving, being given credit for. I think Ole Miss is getting credit for that a little bit. Kentucky's getting credit for that a little bit. Um, it's more of what you did last year than projecting what you're going to do this year. I think coaches usually see it that way and usually give credit in that way. Um, I, I do think it's interesting that if you use this poll as a barometer – all three of us have been AP voters before. We voted on top 25 polls. Usually like eight and four is sort of the cutoff line for top 25. I'm talking about your final record at the end of the year. We've been debating around here, you know, and Knoxville media and elsewhere that is, well, is Tennessee going to be eight and four? Or are they going to be nine and three? That seems to be sort of the over under there. Um, the, the way that this poll looks is the, the voters on this poll said they're going to be seven and five. Uh, I think that's what, if, if you're outside the top 25, that's generally what the record that you're projecting is. And there are four teams in the top 25 um, that, uh, that Tennessee plays Alabama, Georgia, Pitt, Kentucky, and then LSU, as you mentioned, Blake is 30th, but that's at LSU. If you were taking just this poll as a barometer of Tennessee season, you would say they would lose to Alabama, Georgia, Pitt, Kentucky, and then perhaps LSU. That's where you get seven and five. I just think it's interesting that polls look at Tennessee as more of what they were last year than what we think they'll be this year. I think we'll see a different result in the Associated Press poll, which is made up of media, of course. Uh, I think, and and that's a really good point you make, Adam, because – writers and media types are in the business of writing and and reporting on what's going on now. And there's this massive buildup in preseason to the upcoming college season. So you've put the last year behind you, whereas coaches, they're intent on getting their team ready and they're thinking more about their team. They aren't looking at the overall college landscape so much, I don't think. Um, So to your point, they're more apt to think, well, they won 10 games last year. Uh, Lane Kiffin's a good coach. We'll put Ole Miss in there. Uh, honestly, seeing Pittsburgh ranked in the coaches' poll, I think it was 16th. That was the, one of the most surprising things I saw in the poll. 
I mean, Pitt is not a perennial power. It's uh, this was a uh, what it accomplished uh, last year under Pat Narduzzi was crucial because he was starting to get some heat, and he wins the he wins the ACC, but Pitt lost its by far its best two players, quarterback Kenny Pickett and uh, Jordan Addison, the All American wide receiver that transferred to Southern California. So I just don't. Yeah, it might be pretty good, maybe seven, eight wins, but I was really surprised that it would be ranked as high as uh, 16th nationally. How high do you guys think that Tennessee could reach in the first five games of the season before Alabama? So that's Ball State and Akron, obviously, are wins, but Pitt, Florida, LSU. How high, if they swept those, could they climb? I mean, I think top 15. Because as as you guys mentioned, Pitt being ranked 16th in week two, that works to Tennessee's advantage, and that's a road game. So I think you're gonna, you know, if, if Tennessee wins that one, it's it's immediately I think going to hop into the top 25 if it's not there already in the uh, in the Associated Press poll. And then you look at LSU ahead of that Alabama game. If Tennessee can win that, you know, LSU has a chance to start the season like 5-0. and oh. um, I mean, they open against Florida State, neutral site in uh, New Orleans, cupcake game in week two, and then Mississippi State, New Mexico, and Auburn. So it's conceivable LSU could could be 5-0 and oh going into that, that Tennessee game. So if Tennessee were to go down there, beat LSU on the road, I, I think no doubt Tennessee's a top 15 team going into Alabama. It actually could be a top 10 team if things broke a certain way. Everything's dependent on what other people do. But imagine this scenario. Uh, Florida upsets Utah in Gainesville in the season opener. Utah's a consensus top 10 team. It's been in the top 10 in every poll I've seen. A lot of players coming back from last year's Rose Bowl team that went toe-to-toe with Ohio State. So, yeah, if it wins that, if Florida wins that game and then and then beats Kentucky and Tennessee beats that Florida team, uh, in LSU, as uh, Blake said, it happens to be 5-0. and That's plausible. It beats LSU. It's got some really nice wins. And then you got Pitt will be ranked in the top 20 when they play, assuming it beats West Virginia. So, yeah, I, I think it could be a top 10 team at that point. So, so what we're saying is uh, third Saturday in October, October 15th this year, Tennessee, Alabama, Neyland Stadium, number one Crimson Tide, number eight Vols. Is that what we're setting up here? <laughs> yeah, game day. <laughs> yeah, well, I wasn't necessarily predicting victories in, in those games. but uh, it's, it's possible. It's, it's possible. possible, yes. It's possible. Um, all right, we'll leave the poll behind here, guys, and change gears uh, a little bit into something perhaps more more relevant depends on whether you think uh, early August scrimmages are more relevant than, than preseason polls, probably slightly so. Adam, you heard from um, from Coach Josh Heupel after a Tennessee's scrimmage on on Tuesday. Uh, I know you weren't able to see it with your own eyes, but just um, you know, in, in talking to to Heupel and, and picking up on on things from folks around the program, uh, what was sort of the takeaway from uh, from that scrimmage? Well, um, three takeaways I'll give you. Number one, the pass rush still isn't where it needs to be. It's a big priority. They're trying to figure it out. They want a four-man pass rush. That They're getting it at spots, but not good enough. And considering Tennessee has four starting offensive linemen coming back, um, you can see why it would be difficult, but it's still not there. Um, 
Two things in offense really jumped out to me. Number one, Brew McCoy, the USC transfer wide receiver, still not eligible. And we're, what, uh, three weeks out um, from game day. That that situation is getting a little tense. Um, you know, it, it reminds you of, of past in- instances where uh, Tennessee was getting close to the season and would have to get somebody eligible. Sometimes it took a couple of weeks. Uh, Byron Young, they dealt with that last year. They've got to get USC either to release him, as I understand it, or if that route doesn't work, you've got to go to the NCAA and get a waiver. Uh, Brew McCoy, as we've reported before, transferred twice. Um, USC, this is what, three or four years ago, from USC to Texas and back to USC, two transfers, really in a span of like three months. This was when he was an early enrollee as a freshman at USC. So there's two transfers. if you do that, you transfer again. You're gonna you're gonna have to sit out a year. Um, he's trying to get a waiver. USC apparently is not releasing him yet. If he's eligible, he's probably maybe your starting outside wide receiver opposite of Cedric Tillman. They really need somebody uh, they very good at that spot uh, opposite Cedric Tillman. Um, if it's not him, Walker Merrill is the new name that's that's popping up as the possibility there. Walker Merrill, a uh, kid from Brentwood, uh, a little outside Nashville. Uh, people remember him last year as a freshman playing a little bit. But Merrill, is he's not going to wow you, but he's going to catch pretty much everything that's thrown to him. Ramel Keaton has been the guy in that spot so far, and he's dropping a whole lot of passes. So Merrill is the more consistent option if Brew McCoy is not the starting wideout. Last thing is Dylan Sampson. That's a freshman running back that really just, just got here this summer. Um, a lot of the a lot of the talk in spring practice was Justin Williams Thomas. That's the freshman running back that's going to break through and going to get into the rotation. He still very much is in the mix, but Dylan Sampson has gone through eight practices so far and has just about caught up with Justin Williams Thomas. That's not a knock on, knock on Williams Thomas, but it's more of a compliment to Dylan Sampson. He's one of the fastest players on the team. He's got track speed, but he's come in and immediately learned pass protection. Has shown that he's more of a complete back. And you've got a battle between those two guys to get into the mix of a rotation that's probably going to need at least three running backs. That's uh, that's really significant because running back is something we talked about in preseason as being needing more depth. Um, it's interesting about Brew McCoy and his transfer, and I've read that we've had hardship transfers in the past where guys transfer and they're they're given immediate eligibility. Uh, I don't know if this if this qualifies as a hardship transfer though for Brew McCoy. He's well, just he, created, he created his own hardship. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. But you know how some you know how you see that in the past. We've seen that with guys like they want to be closer to home, and then they they move uh, transfer to school. It's still four hundred miles away from home, but it was and they're given a hardship transfer. But apparently, uh, the NCAA is not going to have now that you can transfer so easily. There's no real need for the hardship uh, transfer. So, so you're saying, Adam, that USC has to give him a waiver. Well, if they can get him, a, if if they can give him a release, then he can he can sort of, as I understand it, can sort of skip over the NCAA waiver part. USC can just say, "Fine, we release you," and and then NCAA more does a check mark on that and says, "Okay, we'll let you through." If not, then you've got to go to the NCAA to. Uh, sort of force the issue and i mean brew mccoy as we've reported 
uh, had some off the field issues that never came to a resolution, but sort of just faded uh, without any criminal charges or anything like that. But he got out of USC and got away from that situation for better or worse. And uh, from my understanding, that has not slowed up the process or that has not affected the process. But you would imagine that has probably um, added some hesitancy with USC from releasing him. He left on bad terms. Um, now they have a new coach there, obviously, and you would think they would have moved on, but um, he is, he's not gotten in hardship or any kind of waiver uh, to this point. It's also a weird situation because, I mean, he, he transferred twice before ever playing a game. Um, and it was a number of years ago. So, um, you know, his waiver would have to make the argument that, yeah, I, I transferred twice, but I did it like in, in just a matter of a few months. Uh, don't take that as necessarily me jumping to different schools to play, play at different times. So we'll see. Tennessee's going to try to make an argument. My best guess is he gets, uh, he gets eligible, but perhaps not for the opener. Had an observation and then a, a question for you, Adam, and I'd like to get your take on. But uh, the observation, you mentioned Walker Merrill at wide receiver. That's that's an interesting note because this time last year, around this time, Tennessee had an open preseason scrimmage. You know, fans could come, media could come, whatever. And I thought Walker Merrill, he really impressed me on that day. I mean, it, it was kind of as you said, like, Maybe not one of the flashiest guys, but route runner, catches the balls that are thrown in, in his vicinity, et cetera. And in, in Josh Heupel's offense more so than, than many others, who wins the starting jobs at wide receiver is important because he substitutes so little. You know, in some systems, it may not be that big a deal whether you're first string or second string at a certain position. But with Heupel's offense going as fast as, as it does, they don't want to take the time to sub in different guys in the middle of drives. So if you're not one of those starting receivers, your snap count is is really going to fall. So, you know, whether it be Walker Merrill, uh, Brew McCoy, or, um, you know, somebody else winning that starting job is is so important, I think, in, in a hypo system because of the drop-off in playing time to second string. Uh, but then the, the question I had for you, Adam, you mentioned, you know, a couple of the young running backs, but, you know, obviously, as, as you've reported, uh, Lynn J. Dixon, the transfer from Clemson, provides a veteran who early in his Clemson career put up some big numbers. Now he fell out of favor with the Clemson football staff and and his stats dropped off the past couple seasons. But, you know, and just watching him move at practice and, and some of the videos that you've recorded, Adam, uh, I mean, it looks like this guy could add a a dimension to their offense. Like, is this a case of, well, you know, maybe he's not as high on the depth chart just because he's the new guy. Or do you think, you know, truly he may not be able to crack the the top three in that rotation because, because that third spot could go to a young guy behind Jabari, uh, Jabari small and, and Jalen Wright. Yeah. I, Lynn Jay is a guy that I think could maybe see pop um, after that first month, maybe midway through the season. he, Josh Hopple has talked about that there is a learning curve to pick up their offense and pick up a lot of things. I mean, people may look at it and say, well, Dylan Sampson, the freshman, you know, debuted at the beginning of preseason practice. And then Lynn J. Dixon, the transfer came in like, like two days later. So what, what's the difference? Well, Dylan Sampson was there through the entire summer and went through the playbook, had workouts with, with a lot of his, his teammates um, did sort of the players only walkthroughs that they've had, 
um, learn the blocking scheme, which is extremely important for them, the, the pass protection element of this. Whoever gets out there is going to be uh, better at pass protection than the guy that's going to be on the sideline. And so he he's had that sort of head start. And Lynn J. Dixon is experienced, but his head's sort of swimming right now on picking up the tempo and the playbook and his assignments and all these sort of things. And, you know, once you get to about 10 days out from kickoff, uh, you're only going to give major reps to the guys that are going to play. And, and I think at this point, they're not sure yet if he's going to be ready to play against Ball State. And they know Jabari Small will. If Jalen Wright is healthy, which he's been a little banged up, he'll he'll be good to go. And so then you have to whittle it down to at least one of those freshmen. And so I think that pushes Dixon out of the mix a little bit unless he can really make up some ground in, in learning the playbook. Uh, the, the other part on the wide receiver that you mentioned, um, you know, it, they have some odd pieces that they're trying to figure out where they fit because Jalen Hyatt has the skill set of an outside receiver. He's a straight line runner, long strider. He's more of a deep threat but he can't get off press man coverage, which means he should be in the slot. So his his skill sets, his multiple skill sets, don't match exactly one position or the other. Um, so he's kind of an odd fit for slot, but that's probably that's where he's going to be. Um, but then you have Walker Merrill, who was at slot receiver, who's now looking to be more of a possession receiver. He can get off press man a little better. Uh, so he's going to the outside, but he doesn't have that straight line speed that's needed. Um, so both of those guys are kind of not necessarily perfect fits for the positions that they're in. And then in the middle of all this, you've got Jimmy Callaway, who 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 makes sense at both positions um, and has made some big plays in practice and made a couple big plays last year when he played, but uh, is terribly inconsistent. Now, we, we, we heard from Alex Golish, the uh, offensive coordinator, um, in the going into preseason practice, he said Jimmy Callaway is super inconsistent. That was his that was his quote, super inconsistent. <laughs> and that was sort of you reading the tea leaves saying, well, this guy's on his way out. Um, and then after this first scrimmage, Josh Hopple said, I really like what I'm seeing from Jimmy Callaway. And no mention of Squirrel White, the freshman who had flashed for a while, who's at slot receiver. So take your best guess on what that depth chart looks like. It looks like it's some guys getting moved around and some guys rising and falling. And, you know, we're not too far from that cutoff where you're supposed to kind of set the depth chart. And I think, I think within that room, they have some questions of who they can rely on. I guess it's safe to assume that uh, Brew and Lynn Jay will become uh, best buds. What do they have uh, between them about uh, how many schools have they been to? It's like six. <laughs> it's a half so. dozen now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Seeing the country. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Adam, you mentioned uh, Jimmy Jimmy Calloway, that what Alex Golish said about him being inconsistent, and then now Heupel, you know, praising him this week. Isn't that such a like a preseason move? Like you want to get a message across to a guy early in preseason, so you take your time with the media to to get that message across and say, hey, you know, we like the guy's talent, but he's been super inconsistent. Got to get better there. And then it's like, whoa, whoa, maybe maybe we got our message out there, maybe a little too strong. Now we better play nice because we don't want to lose this guy to the transfer portal. So you send the head coach out there the next week and say, oh, yeah, great scrimmage. Love the way this guy's been working. You know, it's like, you know, and maybe that maybe I'm overanalyzing their things there. But you guys know that's that's such a preseason move to, to you know, get your message across and then ease off the gas pedal a little bit and be like, well, now we don't want to go too strong on this guy and don't don't have him transfer. I mean, my 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 
theory, and maybe this is reading way too far in between the lines, but Jimmy Callaway is a guy that can just make a whole lot happen when the ball's in his hand. Now, they don't love his work ethic. They don't love his attention to detail. They, as, as I said, they think he's really inconsistent. But, and we saw it in the, I forget which game it was, early on last year where he just he just caught a ball behind the line of scrimmage, took off 60 yards and gone. We saw it like a 95-yard catch and run in the uh, spring scrimmage. Um, you give him a play, you give him the ball, he can make more happen than just about anybody on the roster. And if you think you have good options at wide receiver, like a Brew McCoy, you can say, Jimmy Callaway, we need you to be more consistent. Otherwise, we're not going to play you. But when your playmaking options are are less and that are fewer in that receiving core, and maybe you're relying more on Walker Merrill because Brew McCoy is not eligible and Walker Merrill is consistent and he's a possession receiver and he can catch the ball. He's not going to drop it, but he's not going to catch it and go 70 yards untouched like Jimmy Callaway can. Suddenly, you're more forgiving of inconsistencies. And maybe you see that, well, you've got to have a Jimmy Callaway out there. And so the opinion of you starts to get bumped up a little bit because no matter what happens, they have to have somebody not named Cedric Tillman to get Cedric Tillman open. And Cedric Tillman does not have raw speed that's going to do that on his own. So you've got to have somebody out there at receiver, slot receiver on the or, or on the other side from Cedric Tillman that DBs will look at and say, we've got to keep our eye on that guy. And you've got to keep your eye on Jimmy Callaway, at least at least when he's out there. And so I think that is maybe giving him a little bit more value is because they don't know if Brew McCoy is going to be eligible or not. That's maybe reading way between the lines. I think there's something to it, though. I'm a little surprised that uh, Ramel Keaton hadn't, hasn't become a more productive player. Adam, you mentioned he's, he's still number one on the depth chart. But I, I go back, I remember in the uh, – in the Gator Bowl a few years back when he, he made a couple of really nice catches and I thought, yeah, this guy can really this guy could really be a, a solid player for Tennessee, but it just never has happened. And you say he's dropping too many passes, that's a that's a horrible sign. Yeah, from my understanding, the read on Ramel Keaton is uh if you throw him a bad ball, he's probably gonna catch it. If you throw him an easy ball, he may drop it. And, you know, I mean, Hendon Hooker had uh, the best quarterback rating in Tennessee history last year. Uh, he was very accurate with the ball. And I don't they want somebody that will catch the ball. And Walker Merrill and I, I covered Walker Merrill a handful, a couple of times when he was at uh, Brentwood. And you throw him a ball, he's catching it. That was sort of his M.O. Really, really good hands. And so I think that's why he's get, gotten the edge over Ramel Keaton so far. The, their best case scenario is Brew McCoy gets eligible in the next week and Walker Merrill's a really solid backup. But uh, but until then, oh, you know, I think Merrill's their be- probably their best option there. All right, guys, I want to circle back and close with one final thought on, on the top 25 poll as we come full circle here. I want one team from the SEC who's ranked in this preseason poll who you predict will finish the season unranked. And then I'd like a team who is unranked from the SEC who will finish the season ranked. Now, I don't want two or three. We make it challenging here. Even if you think there's like three unranked teams from the SEC, it's going to be top 25, whichever one you feel strongest about. Uh, I'll get us rolling here. Uh, I'm going to say Ole Miss, who's ranked 24th, in this preseason poll will finish 
the year unranked. Ole Miss's schedule, I think, leads into my theory on that. It, it, the schedule starts a little easier, but then they finish with a lot of their harder games. So I think they could be ranked for a while and tail off, even though I think they'll make a bowl game. Uh, and then LSU is probably the team I feel strongest about that is unranked that will finish in the top 25. Well, mine, mine will be, uh, I mean, I, I'm really just going to repeat yours. Yeah, I, I think Ole Miss topped out last year. I, I don't think they'll, they're not going to have anywhere close to a year that they did last year. They're going to be rebuilding in a weird way because that transfer portal is going to service them in a few areas, but not enough to have a, uh, a cohesive unit. And then, uh, yeah, LSU will be up there because I, I, I do think Brian Kelly is odd as a fit as he is in Baton Rouge. He can coach, and they've added enough pieces in the portal uh, that their their record is at least going to show part of that. LSU gets in, Ole Miss will drop out. Well, I kind of agree on LSU with you guys, but for my two, I will pick Kentucky. It's in the top 25. I don't think it will end up there. And Tennessee, not in the top 25. Uh, I think it'll end up there, and I think it'll be in the preseason AP top 25. All right, we shall see. That preseason AP poll, I believe, is out early next week. Uh, For all of Adam's preseason camp coverage, you can find that over at KnoxNews.com. You'll have John's commentary as well throughout preseason camp, and who knows, I might even chime in from time to time, but... Either way, we'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.